This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Well, better late than never, champions. It would appear that the first between five and seven minutes of this podcast were recorded while nothing was being recorded. The introduction music was played. I did my mandatory non-Arsenal-related, ejaculate-related fucking introduction. Went nowhere. And then I asked Toby about how everything was, and he was in the middle of providing an in-depth analysis of how he's felt about the start of the season, and I proclaimed, (laughs) problem, problem. I never pressed go live. This is the Ask Brothers Rankcast, and we remain to be the most ramshackle, unprofessional, wrong button or no button pressing bunch of twats, and I think that you are all stupider for being part of this, both guests and listeners. It's uh, more stupid. The, the word, from the fucking head, doesn't it, Darren? In English, you have to say more stupid. You can't say stupider. And can I pull you up from last week? Because I listened to your, uh, I listened to our wonderful podcast last week, and you kept saying debut when the name, the, the word in English is debut. Okay, it's a subtle difference. But you sounded That's... like an illit- illiterate uh, young man. Oh, thank you. Thank and you not man. even that young anymore either. No, no, only compared to me. I don't even have that on my side anymore. I can't even say that I'm some kind of a, I'm some kind of, I can't even say like, like, I think we've done like nearly 200 podcasts total as well. Like, I think 150 or something last time I checked, but definitely um, I am not good. I am not good at things. This is, this is becoming evident. The older I get, I'm regularly just bad at things. (laughs) If my house hasn't burnt down, then I, I will take the reins in future. <laughs> or I will yeah. help to share the reins, shall we say, yeah. in future. Yeah, well, you know, chalk one more up for my wife. You know, definitely an idiot. Um, <laughs> um, basically. And we'll can you introduce again. Toby again? Can you introduce yeah, yeah, Toby? Yeah, I can introduce Toby. Because we haven't Toby. had Toby on for so long and now we've got Toby on. Hello, Toby. We get him twice. We get him twice now, Darren, because we got him five minutes ago when we weren't recording, and we get him again now. So, Toby, I'll we'll try and pick up where we left off. But basically, the in the bringing you in was in saying it was such a very pleasant way to wake up on a Sunday morning, was it not, Toby? It it was. Well, thanks for having me back it's good to be on but i after you know less than a minute i thought why the fuck do i bother but in any case so what i was saying previously that i will try and replicate now was that we got to watch the game you know in australia sunday morning so lovely sunny morning coffee and what i was saying is when the team list for leicester came up it didn't fill me exactly with fear so i think a little bit less investment going on at the moment or at least they're not going after it as much as they they had done um and then you know to contrast that having a look at our our team 
and that's starting to feel or give you a sense of um, excitement before a game rather than the sense of dread that we were used to for so long. And in particular, one thing that really stood out for me straight away was that not only did we look did look at the team sheet and look confident, saying, fuck me, like the our second string or our reserves now, the bench players, you can really see multiple changeable points off the bench and interchangeable players and also a little bit of a change of tactic as well, which isn't a step down so much from, you know, where we were previously with your Tavareses and your Cedrics. So it was, I approached the game with a lot less trepidation than normal. So I was quite mm. excited. I mean, when you consider, Darren, that last season, uh, people like me, people like Scunny were looking at that team. And granted, these comments were made before Tommy Yasu was bought, Ben White was bought but you know we were looking at that team we were saying this this team is a ninth place team and you can really start to see the I guess the building blocks and the, the process as they start moving towards these short and long-term goals now and it's it's heartening to to look at a team sheet Darren and think I'm not worried about I'm not particularly worried about any position here it's uh, pick up on something that you said last week, Max, when you, you saw him said the results don't matter, the league table position doesn't matter. We finally have a side back that we're enthused about watching. You know, you're waking up on a Sunday morning. I was lucky enough to go to the Emirates at the weekend and, and the whole place has changed uh, over the last, we've had a decade of misery and the whole place has changed. You're walking up there. There's always a feeling of early season optimism when you walk up the steps going into the stadium. Um, always, you know, whatever whatever's happening. In the middle of the Unai Emery era, the first game of the season, everyone's buoyant and you're all hopeful. But there's something different there. People are singing all the way to the stadium. It's the happiest Arsenal stadium I've been to for years and years and years. And it is, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. And, and just a, a quick point on something that I heard uh, on another podcast this week. Just an interesting, just of where we were and how badly run we were. Do you remember we employed Sven Mislintat, who was going to be the, the transfer guru? Um, his signings, yeah, I think he made, I think, eight or nine signings in his small tenure with the club. And he spent about £125, 125 million pounds of, uh, of our money. All of those players have been sold now, and we recouped a total of £24 million. It just shows how bad we were two, three years ago. And now, look where we are. We're all excited. You know? Fabulous, fabulous. Was was there one, Darren, that was under his tenure who just got back in the team from three years on loan? I, I, I'm not, I think he was actually before him. He may have well been one of his. He may mm. well have been. On the stats I read, they said they'd all left the club, but maybe Ooh, because yeah. he hadn't actually, maybe because he hadn't actually joined the club. Maybe that's all. That's all <laughs> no, no, I, I could be Saliba. wrong. Was Willie was Saliba yeah. and Meslintat signing? I thought Saliba was. Well, I had a feeling Saliba. Yeah, maybe was he was that. Raul. Maybe Saliba thought, was Raul. I don't know. Someone in the fucking comments say some shit. Um, mm. I, th- I want to take you back to something that uh, Darren said last week, which I've now forgotten what the fuck. Because I'm thinking about William Saliba sitting next to someone on a couch jerking off another dude. For some reason, that's still where my fucking brain goes. Ah, there it is. Um, Toby, I want to take you or get your opinion on something Darren said last week where he said, 
he's unsure of where the hatred is going to come from this season. Like there's no Urzels in the team. There, you know, there's no real like polarizing figures in the team. And the one really polarizing guy in the team, I thought had just about a man of the match performance. The whole team was really good, but Granite Jacker in particular was quite good. And I thought he was really very good against Crystal Palace as well. There will be a question in there somewhere, Toby. So no, where's, no, no. The, where's the, where's the division going to come from? I'll run with it. Well, you kind of alluded to the only player that would cause division. And I kind of rolled my eyes because I thought, I'm so fucking sick of talking about the Granite Xhaka, you know, do you love him? Do you hate him? Do you want him to be sold? Do you want an upgrade? Like, just the narrative around that is just ridiculous. I've... I've really grown to consistently appreciate the guy and I've learned that the guy is like a fucking cockroach in a nuclear war, but in a good way. Like he is unkillable and seven, seven and a half out of 10 every game. He's a leader, he's adaptable and he works really well with the management. It's, it's pretty obvious, but coming back to your question, there's a lot of love and I think that's a really good thing. And I think the players are responding to that. So I don't know if this is answering your question anymore, but I'll go off on a tangent in any case that, you know, the, the division, the hatred, the, the Arsenal version of like clickbait and terrible journalism, you know, that stem from whatever the fuck they're called. Save me. It's gone out of my brain. AFTV. Yeah, you know, so that horrible era of, you know, us jumping on the back of the players and, and all of that stuff, there seems to be, you know, this really lovely combination of, of youth team, uh, youth transfer policy, um, a all-in-it-together management style. I don't know whether that's believable or not, but it, it really looks like everyone's pulling in the in the one direction, you know, whether that's put on for the cameras, I'm not so sure. We'll wait and see. But I, I, in answer to your question, no, I don't see the next hatred person. But <clears throat> do I think that Arsenal fans are, are just cured? waiting? Yeah. Fuck no, I do not yeah. think they're cured. I, at I all. get, I get this feeling, Toby, that there is a portion of the fan base currently who can't be vocally upset because you can't. It, and it happened last season. It's not by itself. It happened last season when we went on the you know little ten game run and stuff like that. Like they all fucked off. And as soon as a couple of losses came in, you know, all of the same sort of narrative started to come back again. <clears throat> but from speaking to people who are at the grounds and, you know, I speak to Fergus, who's at the grounds and Dan Potts and Darren, who's at the ground, you know, they seem to think that that has almost been ejected, that the negativity has almost been ejected from the home fan base. And that home fan base, like it or lump it, that home fan base, I've always said, it, I think is a real distillate of the wider base, you know, and if the home fan base is up and running because they are, again, you know, not not putting value to one fan base over another fan base, but someone who pays $6 a month to watch it on Optus Sports and someone who puts their real hard-earned cash down to buy a season ticket and hold a season ticket through thick and thin, those fans ultimately are the, the the benchmark for, I guess, what the wider feeling is. Darren, what are you feeling kind of inside the grounds as, as someone who is a fucking 75-year season ticket holder? 
Oh, longer than that. <laughs> what 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 are you feeling? Is that the same notion for you that you, that you feel that 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 is kind of the overarching feeling of the fan base, that of positivity? It, I think there's there's three types of supporter we have. We have those who go to the ground, you know, and, and actually watch them physically. We have those that turn up and watch all of the games in screenings all around the world that are just enjoying it. And I think you've got those that don't watch football in the same way that I watch football that just criticise. You know, they, they don't really get the, the tribalism. I don't think they really get the enjoyment. They've watched football with a negative air. Um, just to go back slightly, I, I as I say, I generally read a lot of stuff. I don't I'm not too active on Twitter, but I was going through one of the groups that I'm a member of, and I only and there was one um, long 300-page uh, message from from a guy, and it was talking about all of the good, and he ended with the only. This is after the weekend's game. This is the only weak link in this team is Granite Jacker. While he's in the team, we're never going to win anything. And I'm just thinking, well, I've just watched that game of football. <coughs> I've just watched that game of football. Good, good and anyone who knows anything, anyone who knows anything about football saw that Granite Jacker had a superb game. He was involved and a great game in at Palace. Yeah, I mean, but this is directly afterwards. And if that's the sort of comment we're going to get, we are never, ever going to change. I would be reticent set. to I would be reticent to start taking Granite Jacker's dick the whole way down the shaft and to the balls because of what we've seen in the past, we, we've seen Granite Jacker do this in the past, but I think at minimum, you know, credit where credit is due and credit where credit is due to the manager. I, I said to you, Darren, in the last podcast we did that this season was going to be a really interesting insight into whether or not Granite Jacker had been, had been poor, much like we could talk about some of our central defenders in times past as well but poor because of the situations that he was put in by the players around him, the lack of Arsenal's ability to get the ball out and get the ball held up, and the fact that in those situations, Xhaka was exposed. And one thing I, I thought was really interesting that Arteta did in this game is he pushed him further forward. And I quite like Xhaka further forward in eight position because I feel... He's less likely to be put in high-stress positions where he is going to go and make a stupid mistake when he's in front of the halfway line. Possibly. Can I just be a little controversial answering the question that you put to Toby? Is I watched that game live, and of course you don't analyse it quite so well when you're watching in, in amongst the emotion of the stadium. But Thomas Party for me, may end up being the one that the fans turn on. Because... I, you know, I can honestly say I've watched him for a year and a half and seen him play six or eight excellent games. Um, the rest of the time, he's, he's a little bit of a passenger. And again, it hasn't been mentioned. You know how fans vote after games, they give their ratings. And Xhaka last season was always bottom, whether he played or not, you know, whether he had a great game or not. Xhaka was always at the bottom of the ratings. And Party was always top. And I'm watching the games thinking, well, that doesn't relate to what my eyes are telling me. And I've just noticed this year, looking at these rating sites, that party is drifting down and down That, that as, as players are getting better. We've got better performances from so many people, you know, Martinelli and uh, Erdegaard at times, and now Jesus and, and, and Saka, of course, and, and all of these players, Zinchenko now, uh, Tierney when he plays, Tommy Yasu, all of these players are actually now getting really good. And Thomas Party is, is dropping down that list because... People are go on, Toby. Can I say with the party thing? I, I, I thought his passing was definitely astray. 
um, in the in the Leicester game. But I'll put something back to both of you. Is the is the position the part he's playing now, a la what Jacka was asked to do previously? So sort of more of that number six role, that deep lying role. Is it more of a pressurized position? Hugely. It's a lot. It's a lot more of a thankless Hugely. position. Hugely. Toby, consider Can this. Can I finish my point? So it's a lot more of a thankless position in that you know you're defensively often the last man standing. So if you're not going to chop him down or make an error, it's a high stress position. It's also high stress in terms of the passing because the spacing is different and you're also part of receiving the press. Sorry, Max. Yes. Well, consider this, right? When people break in or break through in a season to the extent that party did when he became fit, right? So, our best part of last season coincided with Xhaka and Party, but it really coincided with Party getting fit and staying fit and being the metronome in the middle of the park. Well, what do you think happens when Party comes out of the team and Arsenal go to shit? Like uh, I said this to Darren last week. Some people think that there aren't two teams playing that there are, and that there aren't two coaches, you know, and that there aren't two strategic yeah. outputs going on. And I just see it as... If you look at it and you say everything has to come through Thomas Party, then you are going to fucking overload Thomas Party. And that opens up other areas of the pitch. When you go after him and you, you pressure him so heavily and you make him not have the right amount of time for his passes, then you're going to start to make him look poor. What I do say is Thomas Party, technically deep in his own box, is miles ahead of Granite Xhaka as far as his, his technical ability on the ball. And his best attribute really is being able to turn out and find a short pass. So I really think that's more of an indication of the fact that that this season, I think coach is going to be looking at it and say, well, how do you stop Arsenal? You stop Arsenal by stopping Thomas Party. And that's what I was saying about Arteta. I, I almost think to an extent it's like, how do I get the best out of Granit Xhaka? If I'm dragging Zinchenko in from left back, to basically stand next to party. We, we were essentially playing a back three and Sinchenko was playing a left-sided eight in position, which is why Xhaka pushed forward so far. He's basically negating those elements. Can I, can I just add, by the way, before I, I get some abuse, when I was, I was only answering your question when I said Thomas Party, who do I think the fans are turn on? I mean, personally, you know, I still hope he, I, I get those eight or ten really good performances I saw. I hope I see them every week because players do drift in and out of form. So it's not a negativity. It is just saying that that's where I see the fan base will start to find. Because I read another comment at the weekend that was talking, they, when they were being anti-Jacker, they were saying, why doesn't El Nenny get more uh, more game time? And I'm Is just thinking right? how I used to pull my <laughs> I used to pull my hair out arguing you a lot of saying you're all saying El Nenny's shit, but he's actually a really good solid player. <laughs> and I'm not saying he should be first choice for Arsenal, but everyone was just saying, oh, El Nenny's shit. We've got to get an upgrade on El Nenny. He comes in at the start at the end of last season, plays extremely well, and now through not playing, he's getting better and better and better. <laughs> Do you know, so football fans are very fickle. Very, very, and I love them all. <laughs> the uh, Darren, the last week, I hate the fans. Darren, as the 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 oldest Arsenal fan here, and Toby started supporting Arsenal a few years before me. But um, you said last week that Gabriel Jesus to you reminded you of an Ian Wright style player. 
And kind of lo and behold, other than a, a what I thought was a, a tap in that maybe got a bit big on him on the back post that he that he hit the post with, uh, very much played the way that you said that you thought that he would play. Uh, a, a really fantastic performance from him. Could have had four, could have had five, got two. Funny enough, funny enough, I uh, I read everywhere at the weekend and listened to people comparing him to Dennis Burkamp, and I think just yeah. because of that first goal that he scored was very. Uh, people see that as Burkamp esque. However, I, I can't reiterate more. That was exactly the sort of goal that Ian Wright would score. Both goals were exactly the type of goal that Ian Wright would score because he could. He loves to dink a keeper. He loves to put it through people's legs, and yet he's always available for the tapping. And he used to chase people down like mad all the time, you know, on his own. <laughs> He'd be running around like a like a schoolboy at a football match, you know. No, and and the more I see Jesus, and don't get me wrong, Ian Wright was in a class of his own. He is superb. If he'd have joined us at the age of twenty rather than twenty-seven or whatever it was, nobody would beat his goal-scoring record. He would, we would have gone on to to wonderful things. He was an incredibly good player, and I can't tell you how good Jesus is. Watching him in the flesh for the first time, he is everywhere. If he stays fit, we have an excellent, excellent chance of outperforming anywhere that people think we're going to get to this year. He is incredible. He really is the difference, the catalyst involved in absolutely everything. Toby, thoughts on his first two games? Well, I don't think he's anything like Dennis Burkham. And it got yeah, a nick. Crap. It got a nick, so he didn't lift it over the keeper in any case. But the the Ian Wright connotation, just, you know, the hard-running, mongrel, you know, style style of player, I, I get a little bit more. I, I have been super impressed with him, and I know that's not some, you know, mind-blowing statement it's stating the bloody obvious but the you know you really get a feeling with his level the level of tenacity that he brings it adds an x factor and i think it really shows you know with uh at, from what we've had previously we've always had flawed strikers you know, I, I can't actually remember the last number nine that was... Van Percy. Well, that, I mean, that would be it. That would be it. Um, you know, who who was a true performer in that elite style. But, you know, he can do it all. And it's, it's effort and fitness-based, you know. So it's that level of tenacity. You know, Abamyang was more of a, a passive player in that he was low touch so when the game opened up in his way he was elite but he couldn't change the game himself Lacazette was almost there but never broke through to that you know that higher echelon of of influence and as he bulked up and his ass got bigger and his thighs got bigger you know he was able to be more of a hold-up player, but he wasn't able to influence the game the, the so much. The impressive thing about Jesus, I think, is that across that game, I saw him on the wings releasing players inside, you know, which is things that, to an extent, you would have seen someone like an Alexis Sanchez do. You know, we saw the ball into him with him backing in and turning players I love that one. We that was yeah, my favourite one. Even though there even was though he, no he, goal. He, he didn't get it, but to me that was like, 
we haven't had that for so long because Lacquer would back into someone, but he never had the explosion to actually go on with it and run on with it and finish one-on-one. But one it's on also one. the mind. He had that played out. You know, he headed it to himself, stuck his ass into Johnny Evans and spun him on the turn. It was it was genius. It's someone that is at the peak of their powers, their confidence, and I think their fitness. And I think that really... And that I think really makes more than more than all of those things, I think he's been put into a system where he's been told, we have bought you as the guy, the main guy. You're not going anywhere. We haven't gone and bought in, you know, another player underneath you who's potentially going to take your spot. There seems to be a real, like he understands that this is on him and, and he's carrying that. Mm. The thing that I liked most about it is I loved when he got subbed off and he looked so fucking pissed off. I love it when a player's got a brace and they're walking off and they are so pissed off. Dazzy, you're, you're nodding but, along. But he, he gave Eddie double high fives and gave him a hug, though. So he wasn't Yeah, a yeah, but his body language... Petulant, Darren, think, his body language was like, I, I'm, I should have fucking I think, put that game to bed. I, I think there's two things to that I would just like to add on James. I agree. Darren agrees with everything, but his yeah. internet uh, also cabbaged out. Are you back? Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, yeah. that's my wife calling. We heard um, the last bit we heard was we agree with everything you said, Max. You are yeah. a genius. Uh both of you. Um, but there's two things you're missing. One, I think, where he is better than all of those players that you've mentioned, except Burkamp, but including him, right? Is his technical ability. You know, he is a he is a very, very good footballer. And Van Persie was a very good target man and a very strong man and could shoot a ball. Ian Wright was very tenacious, etc. Um was very tenacious and, and, and had all those, uh, was a poacher and had wonderful finishing qualities. But Jesus is a better footballer than all of them. You know, he dribbles past players. He can beat players. He, and, and none of them really had that. Burkamp did, obviously. The other thing I think that's really important to mention, and you touched on it when he went off and he double-handed, uh, double high-fived uh, Eddie Nketiah. I don't know if you heard his interview on Sky after the game. He mentioned Eddie Nketiah. He said, we have two great strikers at this club. You know, he actually lead, leadership met, straight away, isn't it? You know, and, and yeah. there was no need, no need for him. You know, he said the exactly. obvious things like he, he felt like he should have had a hat trick and, yep. and those sort of things. But he actually mentioned his rival for his own position and yep. told everyone how good he was. How does Eddie feel when he listens to that? He's going to be picked up. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And, and I thought uh, Eddie was quite good for 10 minutes when he came was. on. He had a really good, really good left foot shot at the keeper. He pounded one. And the the thing, because I didn't watch a lot of preseason, though Darren didn't watch a lot of preseason either. But I thought Eddie looked about five kilos heavier as well. Yeah, yeah all, looked, they all looked, seem to have bulked out a bit. Sorry, sorry mm-hmm. Toby, I was just going to say that there's a lot of them look like they've really improved their strength training over over the summer. And they all look, you know, that, I watched the Invincibles on the Arsenal website this morning. They did, There's a Sky thing out. Um, there was one on Dennis Burkamp, which really you've got to watch, just all about that goal at Newcastle. And then there was like a 10-minute um, thing on the Invincibles with just Vieira, Freddie Lundberg, Dennis Burkamp talking about that area and and they were a big side and nobody wanted when you when you're in the tunnel along, alongside that <clears> invincible <throat> side and i've thought for the last two or three years we looked a bit small as a side you know and you you go up against some of these bigger sides and you know historically the stokes and the burnleys and the teams that are going to bully you out of the way with saliba and a few of these others all bulking up we don't look like a side that's just going to be bullied anymore people aren't going to mm. turn up and think right getting hard on this lot because I think we can we can handle that. Now. Karen, go on. 
Yeah, I, I agree. So coming back to that um, a couple of points back, I thought Eddie came on and he got about a 12-minute run and he had pretty much four um, chances on goal. You know, one offside, couple of shots and and a, and a near miss. So I think that's that's pretty good. Going back, an extra point to that, I love the way that Jesus interplays with all the different positions and that's my idea of a quality footballer. And that's so when only going to get better. So when we compare to someone as selfish as an Alexis Sanchez, as opposed to a, a Jesus or Jesus, however you say it, um, his interplay with all of those around him and his selflessness, as well as his ability to um, to put the ball in the back of the net, that really is is what excites me. And and like you said, does the leadership qualities where. He's buying in already, and as a 25-year-old, he's already got the emotional intelligence to be bigging up those around him to create, you know, a harmonious, um, you know, front-footed team. You know, all all heading in the same in the same direction. The key thing you just said there as well, which excites me so much, and you've got to remember, this is a player that half an hour after we signed him, I put uh, 20 pounds on him being winning the golden boot this year. That's how confident I am in this type of player joining Arsenal, really. Um, but the, uh, the, um, the point that you made there, which really is so exciting, he's 25 years old. He is now coming into the prime that a striker has. You know, he, he we, we could see four or five years of one of the world's best strikers at Arsenal again. And that's the difference mm. that we haven't had. We haven't scored any goals for the last two or three years. And mm. as you mentioned, Alexis Sanchez, I didn't like Alexis Sanchez particularly. I thought he was a very um, individual player that was brilliant at times, but he was all for himself and not for the team. So Toby and I, to, Toby and I, press, Darren, press when Toby he wants, dribble yeah. when he wants. Darren, you know, Toby and I have both any... been well-known on so many platforms for saying that we weren't a fan of Sanchez. Not that we weren't a fan of the individual things he did for the club, but my stance on it was always that I didn't feel that he contributed to those around him. He wasn't transformational to those around him. He didn't make people around him considerably better. Did he improve the team with his skill? Yes, but he didn't have wonderful interplay and he would just cut in off his right foot, let someone run past him and then either smash one into nothingness or or come one into the top corner. Um, there's a couple of other, like, so obviously it would be remiss of us not to have a conversation about the possible trajectory of Gabriel Martinelli. For me, he was man of the match. I thought everything he touched was just gold. He's another one who I think looks a little bit, little bit, not necessarily bigger, like he's bulked up, but a little bit older. I know it's a stupid thing because he's a year older, he's a season older, but he looks a little bit older. And I go back to last season, I'll put this to Toby, I go back to last season when people were screaming about Martinelli not being in the team. Remember he came into the team, like even after he scored his wonder goal against Chelsea and he was pulled out of the team and there was this narrative around that Arteta had said he didn't do the right things, he didn't defend he pressed by himself and he didn't play in a system. I just think that's an opportunity to look at less the short-term mentality of so many fans saying, go and put this guy in today and look at how much of a long-term project this is, both as a group of players, but also as individual trajectories of certain players. You know, Martinelli is really now becoming a player who is doing everything that the coach wants 
and he's still developing his raw talent. And I think I saw a quote the uh, I think I saw a quote today. I've forgotten who it was from. Might have been from Jesus, or it might have been from Sinchenko. It was one of the guys who'd come from City, and they said that he was possibly the best talent at that age that they had ever seen. Yeah, I think um, I think definitely he is developing in he's developing his in-game acumen. Let's say so. You know, the the thing with Martinelli is that. He's everything's dialed up to 11, but that would also be his downfall. You know, some of the injuries came from that level of fatigue of never knowing when just to cool the jet slightly. Everything was, um, you know, a hundred percent all the time. So I think that's, that's coming into it. Don't forget. He's also had two, three seasons of in again, out again, on again, off again with, with injuries. So he's just polishing that, that raw talent a little bit. And, um, Look, I think it's a pretty dynamic front three at the moment, especially with his hard running and dribbling. You know, that that um, that battle with him and what's his name? Farfan. Fuck, that was a, a wonderful battle, you know. And, and all he bummed credit. him as well. Well, he all, credit, him. all credit to that right back, though. He never gave up. Is that his name? Farfan? Did I get I that? Fafana. Fafana. Farfan was another one. Yeah, Fafana. I thought that was great. And... Um, I, I thought that battle was was shit hot for for the game, but um, he's he's another one that's improved with Jesus as well. So you know, it's not just the player; it's the system as well. And um, yeah, maybe it's more credit. Maybe, it's more credit maybe this his season. No, I think yeah. that was the point I was getting at. I, I really wanted to just give Arteta that that piece of approval to say when everyone thought this guy was complete, you pulled him out of the team and made him work on the small elements of his game. And now we're seeing the outcomes of that rather than just taking a man-new approach to an extent, which is seeing talent and saying, well, go play. Go play and go go fucking do it, you know? Yeah. And I think, can can I just say one thing? I think there might be a time in a a few months where he gets pulled out of the team again. But that's what a squad's for. And this is what none of the fucking fans online seem to realise. None of them seem to realise that you have a fucking squad. Yeah, and but they're idiots. Periods, the world yeah. is full of cunts with phones and opinions. So, you know, it's it's not fucking rocket surgery. You know, it? I saw someone put online, you know, oh, you know, maybe Saka isn't what we thought he was. And, you know, playing in a better team, he's not shining as brightly. And I put up a tweet, Darren, after the game saying how heartening it was for Saka to be allowed to be quiet because for the last two seasons, he hasn't been given that that possibility to be quiet if Saka wasn't playing if he wasn't you know leading the team as a 19 year old then we were shit and I really quite enjoyed the fact that he just sort of was out there on the right wing did a couple of really nice things he had a couple of nice shots but the ability to not have every single game rest on his very young shoulders I think is really going to allow Saka to improve this improve this season yeah, I, I agree. I'll jump in because Darren doesn't seem to be there. Cabbage the internet. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, I agree completely. The weight isn't on his shoulders. And so, look, Can I just let you know, I'm 
sorry to interrupt. I've just the reason I'm uh, as 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 you both know, uh, my house is in the middle of a forest fire in Spain at the moment, and I've just had two video calls from Spain, and I'm just trying to check if if anyone sent Your me a message is... to see if my house has survived. Uh, it's in the middle of one of those horrendous. Uh, the, the the perimeter of the fire is now 65 kilometers it's huge and we're right at uh, on the edge of it so i've just had two video calls from spain and much as i love arsenal i love my house and i love my <laughs> wife and i just was trying to check to see if both of them are okay so if i do disappear for a minute i can hear you but uh <laughs> but you may not see me for a minute That's Carry on, I, I i can't believe that you're still smiling and talking about Arsenal. So all, Cancer all, all, and no house, still all, smiling. The only all, thing that could stop him is another bout of herpes. You've st I've still got it. You can't get rid of it. Uh, so we, we covered this, but two pills and no one will know, Darren. We covered this last week. It'll hide it. It's kind of like kicking sand over a shit on the beach. There's still a shit there, but you can't see it until you stand in it. Words of wisdom. Uh, Toby. Excellent. Continue on. Yeah, so Decker. you know, so it was you're right, it is heartening that the the burden of uh of the team's success doesn't fall on such a young player's shoulders every time, you know. So and and part of me still does wonder whether there is a future of him playing deeper as a number eight. Um, but you know, that's... I can't, I've never been, I've never been able to see that. Like I, a, a player like him, I can see moving inside into a, into a 10 role, but the 10 seems to be dead. 10's a fucking dead position now. Really, yeah. I don't, like, I don't think 10s happen so much. I just mean, because you know, one player who I'm fear, one player who I'm, I'm not fearful for, because there's so many fucking games. Right, there are so many games. There's Europa League and there's FA Cup, and you're so young. But one player who I, I, to an extent, worry about them reaching their full potential in this team is Emil Smith Rowe because there, it is just overloaded in the wide positions. It's over. We we don't play a natural ten anymore, which I still think is Emil's best position. You know, and I wonder. I wonder how he's gonna going to find a consistent starting position in this team as long as there are Erdegaards, Jackers playing these eight roles. And as Darren said last week, supposedly this this new guy that we bought as well is like the fucking shit. Edu, I, I looked it up after Darren told me about it, and the comment is like, if you think Jesus is good, wait until you see what's his fucking name? Yeah. Fiera, you know, so I, I wonder how ESR is going to be able to get in with a really, really informed Martinelli on the left. I, I don't worry you, at all. I think you hit the nail on the head. You, you just said yourself, there's so many games this year and what a great situation to be in where we've got, we, we can't, you know, we've got our first 11 at the moment because we're all playing extremely well, but with Tierney to come in for Zinchenko and Tommy Yasu to come in for Wyatt to the right back, Emil Smith-Rowe to come in for, on either flank. Um, Vieira to come in for for Erdegaard, you know, uh, and Ketia to come in for Jesus. This isn't what we were talking about last year when, when the bench was bereft of any talent and, you know, our, our best on the bench was an El Nenny to come on for Xhaka. You know, we are, we are very different. Now, if we can keep these players happy, and that's the key because at the moment they're all bought in, they all want to uh, believe in the project. That's but if you more what playing, I'm getting at, Darren, is keeping people happy. 
Yeah, but at the moment, if you're Emil Smith-Rowe, it's not like you're the best player in the club and you're thinking, well, I should be playing and getting all sulky. He's looking at that team that's winning and looking at Martinelli and looking at Erdogan and thinking, right, I've got to be better to get to get back into this team. And they will have their opportunities. Something that Arteta has done throughout his tenure at the club is when players have played well, he's kept them in the side. You know, and at the moment, uh, I, I don't think we'll have an issue. You know, six months down the line, maybe offers come in in January again from Villa for Emil Smith Rowe, and they want to build a team around him. Maybe his head will be turned. But these are Arsenal boys. They're loving it at the club. Listen to all of the things they're saying. They're enjoying going to training. They're excited by what's happening there. Even Xhaka said in his interview last week that I'm upset that I've only got two years left on my contract. What sort of comment is that from Xhaka, who was hated by the club and wanted to leave? He's now saying that he wants to be there for the rest of his career because of what's happening around him. I, I, mm. I don't think there's anything to be worried about. It's a very, very healthy situation. Mm. Toby, is Will Smith I, I, I a bit of a wrestle as, as far as injuries? I, I mean... No, a lot, no of, I, a lot of groins, a lot of hamstrings, a lot of soft tissues early in his career. Look, he, he could be, but that should be working against the fear that you're like kind of alluding to at the moment because he's not only is he potentially a biscuit and easily broken, he was Poor overplayed. Richard. He was overplayed as fuck last season and then had to play fucking England under 21s for fuck's sake and then didn't mm. get a break so in, in, when's the world cup so it uh, fucking, fucking whatever i yeah. don't care about the world cup well um, it just it plays into what you're saying because you've yeah. got that again and you're going to have more game time in sacker and more game time in smith row yeah uh, yeah of course i just i'm not really acknowledging the world cup because it's so fucking stupid I've never wanted to watch World Cups. I've never wanted to watch a World Cup so much where Brazil and England do so badly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, get them out out in the group stage and get them home and wrapped up in cotton wool. Totally, totally. But look, I mean, this is the problem with international football now, isn't it? This the this is what exists now. It's that international football used to be the pinnacle. International football used to be when the best players from all of the teams came together. I mean, I was a huge fan of international football in the late 90s and early 2000s. But club football has taken such precedence now. It's such an animal that is so important. You know, the, it just, the World Cup here means so fucking little. And all you're doing is watching it thinking, oh, God, don't fucking get injured. Well, especially when it's during the European season. Like, that's the, that's the worst part about it. It's going to be hot as fuck. The Northern European countries aren't going to cope well with that i mean do you remember how much of a beetroot the fat cunt wayne rooney was in south africa in Mm. 2010 because he'd had a couple of weeks off drunk too much beer and eaten all the pies and then his first well he did that earlier but my my point being it's it's an unnecessary distraction that i don't think any of us want this this season and coming back to the point that i was making much well, a long time ago, was that I'm not concerned with Smith Rowe for what for what Darren was saying. He's a junior. He loves the club. He's still young as fuck. He overperformed. He was probably in the team sooner than he would have anticipated anyway. And he's been injured as fuck from the back end of last season from being overplayed, especially with the England under-21 stuff. So I don't... 
worry about it, you know. And I also think he's quite a versatile player. We haven't worked out his proper position yet. He's a wonderful left wing forward. He could definitely go deeper. He does play in like a hybrid number 10 role. And I know you said number 10 doesn't exist the way it did, but Erdegaard definitely doesn't play as a number eight. He plays as, you know, halfway between those two positions. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. Darren? Looking into my positive crystal ball, what I see happening this season, just purely on based on pre-season and what I've seen in the first two games, is we're going to go out and attack teams for that first 15, 20 minutes, which we... We used to do when we were good, and I think, mm. although it hasn't, it didn't happen at all last year. I really do foresee there will be many games this year where we actually do get a a lead and a fairly comfortable lead by half time. That is a very positive outlook. We know football can bite you in the ass when you say something like that. And with <clears> the with, with the ability now to use five substitutions, I think we'll see a slight change now because I do think that as the season gets into its you know, two games a week, we will see five subs being used. And he can bring on players like Emil Smith-Rowe for a, for a 45-minute half. And I think we might see two, three changes at half-time in games that we're comfortably winning. Has because the we're five not, subs thing not... been brought in purely because it's there's a World Cup year? Or is this um, a permanent it, change? It was brought in all over Europe it's last year. They kept it from... Uh, was it the uh, the European Championships? They kept they kept the five subs role in every uh, league, major league in Europe, except for the Premier League. Premier League voted it down. The smaller clubs felt it was an advantage to the bigger clubs who mm. had bigger squads, and rightfully so. Mm. Um, however, this year with the World Cup coming in, the Premier League decided to just fall in line with the rest of Europe and allow the five subs rule. I love so I the five think... subs thing. I love the five subs thing. I think it's great. I think it gets more utilisation of a squad. You're able to use your younger players more if you do go out and get a big lead. You're able to get game time into people rather than yeah. having two subs and sitting there fucking petrified. If you make a third one, you're going to get an injury. And the, the key the key slight thing with the rule that is very important is it doesn't mean you can make five subs five times in a half to waste time. They have to be done, I think, twice in the second half. Uh, don't quote me on that, but you can't just go one sub five minutes later, another sub, so you're not just running the clock down. You have to do them in groups, so you can't just do that. And that, that's really key, you know, so it's trying to stop people using that rule just to slow and, and make football boring. You have to use that. You can, I think it's only twice in the second half you can make substitutes unless there's an injury or something. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think I think with the five sub thing, there's definitely logic behind that it would favour the bigger clubs. Yes. But there's also more than one way to skin a cat in football. So if you can have five subs and be a lower team, but have like five fit as fuck battle-hardened substitutes, there would be a way to counteract counteract the counterattack yourself. It also allows you to hold like... <sighs> Call me old here, but like, and going back to our pro Evo competition days, Toby, mm. it allows you to hold like a Pipo Inzaghi in your team. Do you know what I mean? Like a, an old fucking killer, like a killer, and he doesn't have the fucking legs anymore. I was going to say more like an Andy fucking Carroll or something like that. Like an absolute, like, just change it all Biscuit. up. Fucking have, biscuit. Five well, minutes yes, a game. <laughs> yes, a biscuit. But anyway, someone who their physique is so different that you can I'm going it. with I'm going with a 40-year-old Inzaghi. I think you you signed Inzaghi to your like 
2002 Pro Evo team and pulled him <laughs> off the bench and scored like 25 goals with him. Why you, you two are just getting completely off the subject and talking about things <laughs> that we don't care about. Um, there's a couple of things I think we should mention on this podcast. Uh, obviously, it's been a, a wonderful weekend of Premier League football with, uh, I mean, there's three things really to talk about. The Chelsea-Tottenham game, which had so much incident. Uh, Manchester United, which is just incredible. And yep. uh, I don't know if you watched Liverpool last night, their new signing. Did you have you seen that uh, over in Australia? No, I just saw that. He, I just saw that he got. Just saw the result. The, I just saw that he got bummed by the only white bloke in the team, Anderson. Uh, he he headbutted him, although it was about a foot shorter, so it hit him in the chin and got sent off. It's <laughs> going to be a wonderful. This is is this is his his introduction to the Premier League. Uh, you know, there was there was just he got shoved in the back, so he turned around and headbutted the guy in the chin and got sent off, and we'll miss three games. Liverpool have got a bit of problem there; they've got lots of injuries. Uh, again, Milner was playing; he's uh, he's their first choice substitute. I think he started yeah. last night. Well, I, I didn't watch the game; I only watched the highlights. He's, 50, this he's fifty-seven now, as you said last week. Still yeah, going, yeah. and and you know, uh, Manchester City looked very strong, but Liverpool started with two draws. And uh, just shows how good our result at Crystal Palace was. Well, you know you what? Know? If we can get off to if we can get off to a really good start, like a like a really decent start, it just takes some of the pressure off. Because you know, teams going to peak and trough throughout the season. I said in the podcast last week, whether we finish third, fourth, or fifth, which I think are the likely three finishing positions for us, I really think that's going to come down to whose key players are fitter for longer and. Who gets off to a really good start? For the last five minutes, boys, I wanted to talk about Judas's. Judas's across the history of Arsenal. Which ones Gallus. have hurt you? Which ones have hurt you the most? And you're not allowed to say Sol Campbell being. Oh, Judas I was just going to say Sol Campbell. No, it was I'm definitely stopped. Sol Campbell. No, we've been through this so many times. He like, was never gets, his, it never gets as good ratings, Darren. Everyone just ends up saying, What's wrong with Darren? So I'm putting an end to you saying Sol Campbell. But anyway, I just wanted to go around the room. Obviously, Darren's Ooh. been a, a, an Arsenal fan for a very long time. And I wanted to find out which one. Which one really fucking stung? Which one stung you the most? I mean, a, a player in their prime who, Van who signed Percy. for someone else. Van Persie. Uh, well, you know how I feel about Van Persie. And uh, when I was doing some work with Arsenal and uh, they, they were publicising my podcast that I was doing in India and being very supportive. And then I said, can't you officially promote me and put me out on your... Uh, 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 on your Twitter feed because they did that once, which was fantastic. Uh, and they they called me into the uh, office at Highbury House and uh, were chatting away and said we really love what we do, what you do. We really love uh, the positivity that we hear, uh, but we can't officially support you. And I said, well, why can't you support me? I said I'm a very positive, very loyal Arsenal fan. And they said, well, you mentioned in last week's show that you wouldn't piss on Robbie Van Persie if he was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, and unfortunately, that's not a line the club can take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my Judas. Uh, so I, your only... one bit of honesty cost you <laughs> yeah. a living. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think uh, the first one is you've thrown that question out, uh, so I haven't really had time to think. If you're not going to let me have Sol Campbell and Toby's had Robin Van Persie, um, going back in the day, Frank Stapleton, uh, our centre forward in uh, in '79. Was a fantastic player for us, really, really top of his game, and he left us in his prime to join Manchester United. And 
they weren't bigger than us. They were a big side, but they weren't bigger than us. And that one I could never understand. And then I heard that he was a Manchester United fan. And as a kid, I just couldn't my, get my head around that, that my hero, the guy, if we had names on shirts, I would have had his name on the back of my shirt. We didn't have, we only, we did, I'm not even sure we had numbers in those days. Uh, but when he left the club, that one hurt me. That one really, really hurt. Mine would be, and it's an obvious one, but no one's done it yet. Mine would be Cashley. Cashley to Chelsea. Not his oh, fault. Oh, that's a good one. Not yeah, his that's fault. That's a good one. Not his fault. That one is all going to Arsenal Football Club. Because we offered him, if you if you go into the depths of that, and of course I was very involved at the, at the time, and I, mm. um, we loved Ashley Cole, and he was what the equivalent of our Hal End boys. He'd come up through. He was. We were, yeah. we were a very, very good side. Um, He'd stuck Ronaldo in his pocket. We we offered. I mean, I can't remember the exact details, but it was somewhere along the lines of we offered him fifty five grand a week to to play to sign a new contract for Arsenal. And when he went in to sign the contract, we said, "Oh, actually, we changed their minds and offered him fifty. And I think it was as simple as something like that that we just reneged on a promise and tried to be cheap <laughs> with one of the best players in English football. And he was he got approached by Chelsea at the time. They blew our wages out of the water. He was so upset with the club and the manager at the time that he, he just said, no, uh, uh, he said, and he was just, they just took the piss out of him. And uh, I don't think he wanted to leave. I don't think he wanted to join Chelsea. I think he would have loved to have been a Tony Adams and stayed at Arsenal all his career, but we messed him about, we pissed him off. And you've all worked for companies at some stage, I'm sure, but you you, mm. you know your worth. And then suddenly they tried to take the piss. And still, you it hurt. still it hurt and he was a Judas. Yeah. And I, I still think Ashley Cole probably gets in the team of the century. I agree. I he is incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, best, I mean... best, left, best left back. Well, certainly best left back I've ever seen in the Premier League. I think he was the best left back in the world for a considerable well, period I, of time. I, I also think he was a game-changing left back. I mean, he uh, he was, I mean, don't get me wrong. He wasn't a pure attacking fullback like you get in today's game. But defensively he was just phenomenal and and his ability to go up and down the pitch so in hearing that Darren I didn't know that those subtleties of that story so my that, understanding that of that makes story, me dislike my understanding him. of that story was that we offered him a contract and Chelsea offered him a bigger contract and that he took the money and I've always the story, called him I, the story is here. He turned up to sign the contract to Arsenal, and they changed the details and lowered what they'd offered him, what they'd promised him. Well, Cashley, I'm sorry I called you a fucking cunt every day of your existence after you left us. Any other special mentions for Judas's? At a bio, Judas, definitely a fucking Judas. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think I was so <laughs> unhappy. Nasri, that he left I was upset I never with liked Nasri. him that much. No, I, I never liked Nasri. Nasri. I because never liked I, Nasri. I didn't like Nasri until he had a wonderful fucking season for us the year before he went to City. He was superb yeah. the year before he went to City. Uh, Sanya. Sanya fucking cut me deep as well. Sanya cut me really deep. Yeah, I was going to say, Sanya was the end of his career. He saw out his contract. Oh, I don't um, think it was the end of his career. He was still got, excellent for he, us when he left. He was 34 no, no, we, when he left. And we, and we had Bellerin coming through. I'm sure we had Bellerin coming through when he left. And uh, it was, you know, it was towards the end of his... He went and played for Manchester City. He did well there for a few years. Uh, but he left with a cloud clapping him off. You know, Sanya was great yeah. for us. Any others? Any others? Anything I've forgotten? Modern history? Judas's? No, I 
didn't want Gallus to ever come to our club, so I was happy when he he's left. A he's he was a cunt. Judas. Um, so yeah, at a or you know, I I had warmed to him. You know, he was like what about Is she rude? Is she rude? replacement. No, we pushed him out. We pushed him out. I never and said a bad word did, about Olivia. And then he went and did a bang up job. Yeah, I think I think I the really time where I really slagged off Giroud for years. I think the time. Funny. I think the time Giroud upset us all was after they beat us four 0 in the Europa League final, and he came out and was disrespectful to the club. And you sort of think, well, hang on, we, you were with us for years. The fans loved you. We paid your wages for a long time. There's, there was no reason for him to to be so up Chelsea. You know, it's like not celebrating when you score against your old club. It's just a little bit of respect that we like. And he didn't show that respect. So obviously the reason why I'm carrying on down this question path is the imminent arrival of Aubameyang at Chelsea. Left Arsenal as the captain on a free, under a cloud of conjecture. He's got Arsenal tattooed on his arm. Uh, he's gone to Barca on a free, and Barca are likely looking to try and offload him now for... for $23 million. $23 million they're looking at, at pocketing it. Uh, it's interesting. I put up a thing saying, well, you're a Judas, and now I wouldn't piss in your ass if your shit was on fire. And I got mixed fucking reviews on that, though, you know, as you get with Arsenal fans and you get on Twitter regardless. But, you know, some people have written, oh, you know, he's within his rights to play wherever he wants. He's got a relationship with... Too cool. Um, I just thought it was in poor taste. I think leaving a being a club captain and leaving and making statements, you know, that you love the club and always have a place in your heart, and then going and signing for fucking Chelsea I think, is a I shit think, Judas act. I think two things to mention there, though. One, if you listen to his statement, he doesn't want to leave Barcelona, so it's not him driving the move. So a bit of respect for him there. He has come out and said, I want to stay at Barcelona and fight for my place. And secondly, if he goes to Chelsea, we shouldn't worry because we know he's not very good. I'm not, wor- I'm not, wor- I'm not worried about what he's going to do. No, I know what he's going to do at Chelsea, and I think he's actually going to suck in Chelsea's system. He's not very good. He's not very good. We've just watched him for 18 months be a passenger in our side. He's not good anymore. He, he was a very good player for us. But when he's not scoring... When he's not scoring, he is a passenger. When he's not scoring, it was like playing with 10 men. Um, you know, if he has a good spell at Chelsea and score goals, great. But if they're going to buy players on their decline, a bit like Manchester United buying Ronaldo, what is the point? Let Would us, you boo him? Let, Would let you us, boo him? Um, no way. No, no, I, I don't he, even think no. he I fucking to, would. I'd I boo the shit think, out of him. I don't he is irrelevant to me now. Leave Arsenal. He was paid out of his contract. I'd yeah. I don't the think Aubameyang is a shit bad guy for a second. I just don't think he could do what we needed oh, him to so do. Nice. He, he, so can well. his, he can get in his. He can get in his. He can get in his gold car and his gold tracksuit and fuck off now. Okay, yeah. he's not one of I'd ours. I wouldn't boo him. I wouldn't boo him because he doesn't mean that much to me anymore. We have moved on. He is the last. How can the Chelsea that... fans take him with open arms? He took an FA Cup from them. He single-handedly took an FA Cup because from them. they've prostituted themselves. They've prostituted themselves to the world of football for the last 15 years. They they won't care as long as they win. They're, you know, that, that club, how can you get involved and get excited by watching And a, I don't think he'll be very good anyway. I think no. he will. So, I think he'll score in every, every game in his first 10 games because that's what they don't play. Does. Chelsea don't play in that way. I was reading an article that their forwards are really stifled the way they play. Two good players like a back three still. 
a 3-4-3 and they don't have the space that they require. So it's 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 a funny system. I, I think Raheem Sterling has come in um, and, and looked pretty good in that system, but none of their number nines work. None of them. I'm not particularly worried about Chelsea this year. I don't I don't think Tottenham are an outstanding team, and I thought Tottenham were the better team against no, them. No, that's nonsense. <laughs> Did you watch that game? Uh, Chelsea dominated for an hour. should have been about I five. Only watched, I only watched the 30-minute mini. No, no, no. It was really Chelsea dom. I watched the game uh, with a Chelsea fan uh, to- uh, and a load of Tottenham fans. I was in a pub full of Tottenham fans. Spurs got out of that, and it shows how good Spurs are these days because they were terrible. They were nowhere near Chelsea for the majority. First 15 minutes was fairly even. The rest of it was all Chelsea, and Spurs managed to hang on in there. And like good teams do, they nick one right at the end. Um, well, I, I only, watch, say, well, I only watched the first 20 minutes, though? and then I watched the mini. So that right. explains well, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, Martin, is there, say, go on, isn't it a, a Conte way of playing though? It's it's yeah, unattractive. Yeah. You hang in there and you score the goals when you need. And nearly a punch yeah. on. Got to love a punch on. Us rugby league fans love a fucking punch on, and they tried to punch on. Can we finish before you go into rugby league, which nobody cares about outside of this group? Um, can we just go on to two things? One, Manchester United, and two, how relieved are you that we avoided signing Lissandro Martinez? Uh, the five foot nine video? Half. Did you see the fucking video they put up on Twitter of the like little kid? They let him like I think they let him come on in a testimonial. He was one of like the players' sons or something. There's yeah. all these giant players and he's like little running next to them and they're like Lissandro Martinez oh, versus yeah. Brendan. <laughs> I thought when somebody says from a distance, I think they said he looked like Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> well when, when we were like... when we were in for him, Darren, I was like this reeks of another um you know, Mustafi and no, no, uh, no, 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 no. I think come and uh, listen to this and 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 come back to me later in the season. I think he's an extremely good footballer. Yeah, he looks the best player in there. No, no, listen, 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 listen. And and he looks a very good footballer. And I think um, over the course of the season, you will see that he is a very, very good player. However, we wanted to put him where Zinchenko is. We wanted him as a left back, somebody who could play uh, drifting into the middle, the way he's got Zinchenko playing at the moment. So as a left back, it doesn't matter how tall you are. As a centre-half at Manchester United in the Premier League, it does. And we are, we've are we got to be just so relieved that we managed to avoid that one and get Zinchenko for less money. And, uh, and it seems like really another good bit of business from Arsenal, not getting sucked into a transfer war where we could have paid an extra 20, 25 million to secure the signing of a player that didn't want to join Arsenal Football Club. Really, really good bit of business by us. Exactly. So he can he can have those cunts. That's absolutely yeah. fine. Um, what about Tillemans? Did he play himself out of a contract as well? Have we dodged a bullet that way? I thought, I thought Tillemans was... Pretty good for Leicester. I thought he used the ball well. He had a couple of nice touches. He spread the ball. I just don't think Leicester are a very good team. But I said to Darren, I'm really reticent of taking people out of the Leicester system because that Leicester system, I said this last week, reminds me of Pochettino's Southampton system where those players playing in a very specific system looked really good. And as soon as they came out of that system, you know, whether it was Wanyamas or Schneider. Was it Schneider? Was that the two? Schneiderlin. Schneiderlin, Wanyama. Like, all those guys came out of that system and looked fucking average. So, 
not too worried about it. Anyway, personally, we've done an I was hour. Just, say, just personally, yeah, go on, finish it. I was going to say, personally, I still think the Tillman thing may happen. It just depends. If Leicester lose Fafana, lose Madison, then they may not be so happy to lose Tillemans. But he's everyone on his last year. Everyone loves Ryan Madison. Darren, everyone loves old Ryan. Toby, and who's everyone... Ryan Madison? <laughs> he plays for Parramatta. Fuck, I knew it was a rugby league play. I knew I'd fuck that up. Go on, Max. Wind us up. Uh, well, man, you were shit. Uh, Tottenham. A shit. Chelsea is shit. Aubameyang's a fucking Judas. Granite Xhaka is the one chosen king. He's the god of football. He's never going to fuck up. Uh, we're never going to turn on anyone ever again. Sunshines, rainbows, and strawberry-scented queefs. All good things. These are all some of my favourite things. And this has been an Ask Bros podcast, especially the bit about strawberry queefs. Hold on, I forgot to do the fucking banner thing. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify and SoundCloud at Astros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.